Well, this evening we are going to look at Titus. Titus, a portrait of partnership. A portrait of partnership. If you don't have a handout, please put up your hand and one of the men will get you a handout. There are some floating around here, so if uh, some of the men, there, I think there's some, are we, oh, okay, I think we might be out of the handouts. Uh, if any of you have two or three of them around, just hold them up and we'll get them to others. Charlie has some extra ones back there. Okay. All right. Just keep your hands up. We'll try to get you uh, uh, a, uh, a handout. But our focus this evening is on this New Testament personality, Titus, and in particular, due to something that Paul says about him in one of his letters, we're looking at Titus as a portrait of partnership. Titus as a portrait of partnership. And as we look at the evidence and the the descriptions of Titus in the New Testament, we're going to notice four things about about Titus's life, four descriptions of his ministry. First of all, we see or will see that he is a willing instrument. He's willing to be used. He's not one of these men who always has to be in control and always need to be calling the shots. As we're going to see, one of the things about being a, a partner means that you can, you can offer yourself as a, a willing instrument to uh, God's purposes being accomplished by someone else. Secondly, we're going to see that he was a skilled diplomat. Very fascinating look into Titus's life, particularly as it relates to the church in Corinth and Paul's mission for Titus in that church. Thirdly, we'll see that he was a trustworthy delegate. Paul could rely upon Titus to accomplish some of the most difficult things, some of the most difficult tasks. He was a trustworthy delegate. And then fourth, we'll see that he was a tireless labor. All these things help form a picture in our minds of what it means to be a partner in ministry. And as we go through the series, I want to keep reviewing the, the importance that as we look at these men around Paul, our objective is to see the qualities in their life that made these men attractive to Paul, that made these men needed by Paul, that Paul would want to draw them into his circle and want to include them in his mission. Because if we were living in that day, I trust that each one of us would say, I would want to be one of those that Paul would draw into his circle. Titus was certainly one of those men. Now, it's just to give some background information here, just a few things right at the start related to Paul's relationship to Titus, especially from a a chronological perspective. It's important to note that Titus is never mentioned in Acts. He's never mentioned in Acts, and I'll get to that in just a moment. There's some some, uh, theories as to why that is. But our only biblical knowledge of Titus comes from his... his, uh, the references that Paul makes to Titus in Paul's letters. We don't know anything about Titus from Acts, only from Paul's letters. And if we take that information from Paul's letters and put it on a a timeline, we can see Titus enter Paul's life really at four critical junctures. First of all, Titus is important to Paul at the time of the Jerusalem Council between Paul's first and second missionary journeys in the year 8049. 
Titus plays a somewhat of a passive role, but a very integral role at the Jerusalem Council. Secondly, the second juncture relates to Paul's ministry to the Corinthian church during Paul's third missionary journey when he's stationed in Ephesus. Things are going on across the Aegean Sea, 200 miles across the water to the west in the city of Corinth, where Paul had already previously planted a church there, and the church is going through various problems. And Timothy enters the, 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 the narrative in connection with those problems in Corinth. And we're going to see some very fascinating things that Titus is able to accomplish there on Paul's behalf. Then we basically don't hear of Titus for almost 10 years, and he then comes back into the, in, onto the scene around AD 63-64 when Paul's on his fourth missionary journey. And he leaves Titus in or on the island of Crete. And to, to, there's going to be some things that we notice with that. And then finally, there's one small little reference to Titus one more time at the end of Paul's life as he gives his final words to Timothy. He makes reference to Titus in the region of Dalmatia. So basically four junctures. And our four points are going to really correspond with these four junctures where we see the life of Paul intersect with the life of Titus. Just a few more things about Titus's background that are important for us to note. First of all, we note from Galatians chapter 2, verse 3, that Titus was a Gentile. Titus was one of the very few people in Paul's circle who was a Gentile. We're looking at a lot of these men, and most of the men that we see around Paul are Jewish. But... Titus is one of those few men who was called a Greek or a Gentile. His name, Titus, was a common Roman name. And even though we don't know very much about his life at all, we have a, a strong basis in which to suppose that Titus, or yeah, that Titus probably grew up in Syrian Antioch. Or at least that's where he became a Christian because we read in Galatians 2 that the first time where Titus enters Paul's life or comes into contact with Paul in any definitive sense is when Paul brings Titus from the church in Syrian Antioch. He brings him down to the Jerusalem council in the city of Jerusalem. That's our first mention of Titus in relation to the Antioch church. So scholars generally suppose that Titus there was, was raised in that city of Syrian Antioch. And uh, coming back to the fact that Luke never mentions him, this is an interesting thing that scholars say about Titus. It's fascinating that Luke in the book of Acts never references Titus once. And, and that's bewildering because Titus played a significant role, especially on the third missionary journey when Paul was in Ephesus and trying to deal with problems in Corinth. Luke is silent. And scholars have been led to suggest from that that the reason why Luke is silent is that perhaps, and this is speculation, Titus and Luke were brothers. Interesting. Why would he say that? Well, Luke 
tried to stay out of the picture as much as possible. Even in the book of Acts, there's just a few little pronouns where, where Luke writes we in the, in the book of Acts. We've talked about that already in our study of Luke. Otherwise, Luke wants to be behind the scenes. He doesn't want to receive any spotlight whatsoever. And so the suggestion has been made that the reason why Titus is left out of the book of Acts as well is that he, Luke wanted to avoid any references to his family even. He was so determined to, to be out of the picture. And that's not uncommon because in the Gospel of John, if you look at the Gospel of John, John never refers to his brother James. It's interesting. It's how the biblical writers tried to avoid putting the spotlight on themselves. They wouldn't even talk about their brothers. John did that with the gospel and with, in the gospel with respect to James. And the supposition is, is that because Titus is attached to Antioch and Luke was from Antioch as well, that they may have been brothers, but we really don't know. What we do know, however, is that Titus was converted under Paul's preaching because when Paul later writes to Titus, he refers to Titus as my true child in a common faith. And whenever Paul uses the term of children, it, it, it's used to refer to conversion under Paul's ministry. Timothy as well was called Paul's true child in the faith, and Titus is as well, leading us to the fairly strong conclusion that Titus, probably there in Antioch, when Barnabas brings brings Paul from Tarsus to Antioch to minister in that new Gentile church, Titus could have been one of the first converts of Paul there in Antioch. All right, with that is our background. Let's look at the first of these qualities of Titus and what made him such a, a, a great partner in ministry. First of all, he was a willing instrument, and this has to do with Titus and Jerusalem. Think of those two concepts together, a willing instrument and Titus's ministry in Jerusalem in AD 49. Let me just read the text from Galatians 2, where Paul makes this reference to Titus. He says, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but I did so in private to those who are of reputation, for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. But not even Titus, who was with me, though he was a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But it was because of the false brethren secretly brought in, who had sneaked in to spy at our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus, in order to bring us into bondage, but we did not yield in subjection to them for even an hour so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now, the central question which precipitated the Jerusalem council was this, can a Gentile be saved? Can he be regenerated and incorporated into the body of Christ without submitting himself to the Mosaic law? And, 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 and that especially was, was pictured in the act of circumcision because circumcision was that ultimate statement on the part of proselytes to Judaism that they were submitting themselves to the Mosaic law. 
Now, what had happened was after this church springs up in Syrian Antioch, made up of, of mainly Gentiles, and after Paul had been on his first missionary journey, there was a group of Jewish people in the church who we call Judaizers, who believed that you could only be a true follower of Jesus if you would submit yourself to the Mosaic law, including circumcision. And so they believed that Paul needed to preach not just belief in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and faith in that work and confession of Jesus as Lord. They, they, they believed that you needed to do not just that, but also put yourself under all the Mosaic laws. So this was a matter of significance that we cannot even overestimate. Now, what's interesting is that Paul selected Titus, a Greek, as a special representative of the Antiochian church. And what's interesting even more is to think of of it this way, that when Titus arrived with Paul and Barnabas, both of whom were Jews, who had been circumcised in their childhood, when, when Titus arrives with them to Jerusalem, and he, he steps into the council. Understand this. Titus, in that context, was the only uncircumcised male in that entire gathering. There might have been a few other Gentiles there, but they had all previously become proselytes to Judaism and then Christians. Titus was the only one who was uncircumcised. And you can kind of imagine the spotlight. You step into that kind of a context and you're the only uncircumcised man there. That would be like a red flag or a matador's cape to a, to a mad bull, namely the Judaizers. But the conclusion of this council was that Titus did not need to be circumcised. And that conclusion demonstrated the early church's recognition, the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem, their recognition that the content of the gospel of Jesus Christ did not include, did not include the Mosaic requirements. Although Titus in that context was a passive participant, he nonetheless played a very invaluable role. He served as a key exhibit of Paul's gospel ministry. Paul needed a, he needed evidence. He needed a demonstration that would represent the entire Gentile race and how the gospel needed to go out to them and their, the Gentiles' relationship to the church. Paul needed a man who would represent this, and he picked Titus. And I believe that he picked Titus because he saw in Titus the, the best of the best there at Antioch, a man who was a willing instrument, willing to be used by Paul to further the gospel, willing to go down to Jerusalem and be at the center of all this attention and controversy in order to stand for the purity of the gospel. And Titus showed that he needed nothing else other than the gospel to be considered a believer. One writer said this, Titus was exhibit A. Evidence that could be examined, living proof that a Gentile who had not come under the law of Moses could still demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit that were a sign of a regenerate man in Christ. 
That was Titus, evidence, exhibit A in Paul's early ministry. And he was willing to let himself be used by Paul for the furtherance of the gospel and the preservation of its purity. That the gospel was all about faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone. Salvation that did not require works and acts to be done in order to be made worthy of salvation. Now, that raises another question here related to Timothy, Paul's other disciple, Paul's other son in the faith, and his circumcision. Now, remember, we've talked about Timothy already, and we read in Acts chapter 16 that after the Jerusalem council, when Paul goes on his next missionary journey, he goes through Galatia, picks up Timothy, but has him circumcised. So the, the question here is, why was it necessary for Titus not to be compelled to be circumcised for the purity of the gospel, and, and yet Timothy is circumcised? Well, there's a, a few things to keep in mind with respect to this. First of all, Titus is a Gentile through and through. He's, he came from a pagan background. No Jewish blood, no Jewish DNA in him whatsoever. Timothy, on the other hand, was Jewish. Now, his father was a Greek, but his mother was a Jewess. And the Jews would trace lineage through the mother. And so, as a result, technically, even though at that time, before Paul gets there, Timothy hadn't been circumcised, but he still was considered a Jew. And, and that would have been considered an abomination to other Jews, And so when we consider why one was circumcised and why the other was not, it has to do with two different things. Titus was not circumcised in order to preserve the truth of the gospel, that it did not include the fulfillment of Mosaic requirements in order to be saved. Titus needed to remain uncircumcised, not compelled to be circumcised because of that. On the other hand, For a very different reason, Timothy was circumcised, but he was circumcised for the sake of the gospel ministry to the Jews. Because, as Paul states elsewhere, that in order to spread the gospel, he is willing to submit himself to different things. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.20, to the Jews I became as a Jew so that I might win the Jews to those under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And so Paul said to Timothy, look, Timothy, the, the Jews are not going to listen to you because they know you're Jewish, or they'll find out you're Jewish, but you're not circumcised. So we want to remove the obstacle. This isn't for your salvation. This is for your future ministry. So that's the difference between those two individuals. As I said, Titus demonstrates himself first and foremost as this willing participant in a very crucial debate, as a willing instrument for Paul to use in order to further advance the gospel. Secondly, we see that Titus was a skilled diplomat. Now, this characteristic comes through particularly with respect to Titus's ministry in Corinth. Around the years 80, 55, 56. So this is about six years after the Jerusalem Council. And that's when we next see Titus 
cross paths with Paul. Now, we know that Paul planted the church in Corinth on his second missionary journey, around the, around the years 80, 50 to 52. We read of it in Acts 18. Paul spent 18 months in Corinth, and he planted the church there before he left at the end of that second missionary journey. But due to the extremely immoral background of those new converts in Corinth, the early years of the Corinthian church were marked by a lot of problems. Corinthian was known as a very decadent, debauched city. In fact, they had a verb. The, the Greeks had a verb for a very unruly, unwholesome lifestyle, and the verb was to Corinthianize. Now, Corinthians were saved from that, and they came into the church, but they had all this baggage. And so the early years of the Corinthian church were marked by strife, divisions, sexual immorality. They were suing each other in the courts. There was chaos in the worship. There were people coming to the Lord's Supper and getting drunk on the wine and, and, and eating all the food before everyone else could get there for the worship service. There were all kinds of problems with the exercise of spiritual gifts. It was a mess. So even though Paul, then on his third missionary journey, even though he was focused on the city of Ephesus, across the Aegean Sea, he would keep hearing of the problems that were arising in that church that he had planted a few years earlier, the church in Corinth. So while Paul is devoted to the ministry in Ephesus, he continues to devote some of his time to trying to solve those spiritual problems in Corinth. And it's here where Titus came to play a very crucial role as Paul's special envoy. And what we see is that Paul sent Titus to the troubled church in Corinth at least three times. The, the first time that he sends Paul or Paul sends Titus to Corinth, is to relay instructions to the church to prepare a gift for the Jerusalem church. The Jerusalem church was very poor, and Paul wanted to show his honor and his love for the Jerusalem church by collecting among the Gentile churches an offering for the Jerusalem church. And so first of all, kind of more in a benign way, Paul sends Titus to Corinth and, and gives them instructions and says, go there and explain to them what we're doing and, and start getting them collecting the funds. The second trip was the most crucial. Paul sends Titus again from Ephesus to Corinth after he had written 1 Corinthians in order to help the Corinthians properly understand and apply the instructions that Paul had given them. Because when the Corinthians received 1 Corinthians, they had not responded well. They had responded with stubbornness and indignation. They were mad at Paul. They were mad at what he wrote in 1 Corinthians. And so now Paul is faced with the dilemma of trying to, to, to bring the Corinthians along. And he had written a letter, and that obviously didn't work very well. So what was he to do? And so he sends Titus. And there's one more trip that Titus makes to Corinth. And that is a little bit later on when Paul sends him back to Corinth to carry the letter of 2 Corinthians. But I want to focus specifically on trip 2 and trip 3, but specifically on trip 2 
when Paul sends Titus to Corinth to help apply the instructions of 1 Corinthians. Paul, it's important to note this, that initially Paul had wanted Timothy to go. Paul had wanted Timothy to go over to Corinth and help get things in order, help bring about repentance. But even when Paul thinks about sending Timothy to help deal with some of these problems, Paul recognizes that Timothy has timidity and that the Corinthians were probably not going to listen to a man who is so timid and quiet as Timothy. And so in 1 Corinthians 16, 10 to 11, Paul tells them, listen, if Timothy comes, see to it that he is with you without cause to be afraid, for he is doing the Lord's work as I also am. He's trying to prepare them for Timothy's arrival and trying to say to them, take it easy on him. Now, we don't know actually whether Timothy even did arrive there, but we do know that the problems persisted in Corinth. We also read that Paul had even asked Apollos to go to Corinth. Apollos had served there previously. Paul had wanted Apollos to go to help bring resolution, but Paul has to admit that he had asked and encouraged Apollos to go, but Apollos had declined, and it's very likely Yet Apollos did so because he realized that he wasn't the man to help bring about resolution. That his presence would perhaps only complicate the problems. So the only person really that Paul had left as a true delegate was Titus. And so after he had written and sent 1 Corinthians, Paul sends Titus from Ephesus to Corinth in an attempt to bring about their repentance. And what happens essentially is that Paul says this to Titus, you go across the sea to Corinth. I'm going to give you a couple of months, but then at this date, I want you to sail up or go up to Troas, which is north of Ephesus. I'm going to be ministering in Troas, about 150 miles north of Ephesus. Let's meet there at this date, and you can tell me what's going on in Corinth. That was the plan. That's what was supposed to happen. But we read later on that when Paul does get, to Cor- does get to Troas, he doesn't find Titus. And he says this, he says that when I came to Troas for the gospel of Christ, and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, it, it, there's great opportunity to minister. He said, I had no rest for my spirit, not finding Titus, my brother. So he takes leave of them in Troas, and he goes to plan B, and plan B was... Listen, if we're not going to meet up at a certain time in Troas, then we'll intercept each other in Macedonia, across the Aegean, north of Corinth. We'll intercept each other, and perhaps there we'll we'll find out what's going on. And so what essentially happens is that Paul leaves for Macedonia, and somewhere in either Philippi or Thessalonica, he actually does intercept Titus. And we read this. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5 to 9, when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest. We were afflicted on every side, conflicts without, fears within, but God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. 
could read a little bit further there, but what essentially had happened is that the Corinthians had repented. And Paul is, is, sees Titus, hears the news of their repentance, and is overjoyed. He, he goes on to say in verses 13 to 16 of 2 Corinthians 7, For this reason we have been comforted, and besides our comfort we rejoiced even more for the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. Because what had happened was that Titus was able to bring about what Timothy couldn't and what Apollos believed that he couldn't do. Titus was able to bring about their repentance. He was able to lead them in that. He was able to serve as this this very skilled diplomat, in essence, to represent Paul, to be a shepherd, to be a counselor, to be an exhorter, to be a preacher. And so he brings back news to Paul. He accomplished what Paul had him to do. And then Paul writes 2 Corinthians from Macedonia and sends it to the Corinthians by Titus's hand. This ability on Titus's part leads Paul to say a very profound expression of appreciation for Titus in 2 Corinthians 8.23. These words kind of get lost in our parlance today, but these are very powerful words when Paul says, as for Titus, he is my partner. He is my fellow worker among you. The idea is here with these two words that Paul looks on Titus as one who shares the yoke together. He's bonded together with Paul. He, he can serve as an extension of Paul. He knows how Paul thinks. He knows what Paul wants. He's able to fulfill Paul's tasks. He's able to double Paul's effort because he was so connected. He was so, so together with Paul in spirit. This was Titus, a man who was an eminent problem solver, a skilled diplomat who knew how to represent the one who had sent him, who would be able to fulfill everything that that commissioner had requested. And it's that quality which we as men need in our lives as well. That quality of being trustworthy, of being the skilled diplomat, of being able to represent our church, being able to represent our elders, being able to represent those men of God who have poured into our lives so that we become an extension of them and not feeling any kind of quashed pride because of that. You know, in our day, the masculine man is his own man. He's an island. He's isolated, and he's the superhero. But not Titus. He was able to represent Paul, and he was fully comfortable in being a, an extension of, of Paul himself. That's what we need in men today. One, one writer says it this way, Titus was an achiever of immediate practical results in difficult situations. Not for a moment is he to be compared with Barnabas and Apollos as a preacher, nor was he a writer like Luke and Mark, but he was a man who could do things at any time and anywhere. And wherever Paul had a task too difficult for any of his friends, he always turned to Titus, and Titus never refused, and Titus never failed. That was Titus. He was a problem solver. 
And even as Pastor John says in his book on leadership, a leadership principle is this. A leader focuses on objectives, not obstacles. Titus, when he was sent to Corinth, did not focus on the obstacle. He focused on the objective and being that representative, that that extension of Paul. Number three, he was a trustworthy delegate. This is easy to see in Paul's letter to Titus as Titus was left in Crete. As Paul opens this letter, he says, Paul, a bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is in accordance to godliness. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, for this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. Now the context for this interaction between Paul and Titus is based on Paul's fourth missionary journey. After Paul was released from his first Roman imprisonment, Luke describes that in Acts chapter 28, verses 30 and 31. He talks about Paul being in Rome under house arrest for two years, waiting for Caesar's verdict. And Paul is released. The emperor decides that Paul had not committed any crimes, and he lets Paul go. Paul then does, uh, he conducts a fourth missionary journey. He, he goes to visit uh, places like Ephesus again, where he leaves Timothy, but he goes to Crete specifically to plant churches. This would have been about the years AD 63, AD 64. But Paul did not remain long. In fact, he, he just starts things going, and then he hands it off to Titus and says, Titus, you finish what remains. And so Paul takes off and he's headed towards the city of Nicopolis, which is in in Macedonia on the the, the western side, on the Adriatic Sea. And he says, Titus, now you you fulfill what I've left you to do. You be this delegate. Now, what's important to note is that Crete, like Corinth, was a difficult place to minister. This was not easy. In fact, Paul later talks about the kind of problems that were there on the island of Crete. Rebellious men, empty talkers, deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And they must be silenced. They're upsetting whole families and teaching things they ought not to teach. And one of them, a prophet of their own, he's referring to Epimenides, who is a 6th century poet, said that Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Wow, what a racist thing to say. <laughs> lazy beasts. You're evil beasts, lazy gluttons, liars. And, and Paul says, this testimony is true. <laughs> These are the Cretans. But what's interesting to note is that Paul doesn't sense the need that he's got to hunker down and stay in Crete. He could rely upon a man like Titus to such a degree that he only needed to get the work started and he could hand it off to Titus. In fact, as you look at the tone in Paul's letter to Titus, Paul shows no concern over Titus's ability. In fact, what's interesting to note is that Paul doesn't even think that Titus needs a long time there. He's going to be able to get everything done really quickly because he says near the end of his letter, he says, you know, when you finished up there, I'm waiting for you in Nicopolis. It's then to the next objective. He had complete confidence in this delegate. And Titus was this man who could be relied upon. That if he's given a task to do, he's going to do it. And he's going to 
invest all of his energy to do it because he said he would. And because the one who gave him the, the, the task was worthy of it. And ultimately, it was all about the gospel ministry. He was a man of his word, a reliable man. And so, as one writer writes, St. Paul writes as if he did not fear any weakness on Titus's part. And as if he expected him to be fully competent in the hard task assigned to him. Again, we see Titus as this man who could shine in the midst of difficulty. And the pressure only served to create a more brilliant diamond. And that's what men need to be all about. You know, I just happened on Monday, I think it was, read in the newspaper, that down in downtown L.A., a man attacked a hot dog concession, a man selling hot dogs. Somehow some women actually got involved to try and stop it. And the man turned on the women and started beating the women. And the men simply stood around with their phones recording the whole incident. What a sad testimony to the state of men in our society. This is not Titus. Titus is not afraid of difficulty. He's going to jump in. He's going to embrace it. He's not going to falter. He's not going to run away. If he said he's going to do it, he's going to die trying. And that's who Titus was. And finally, we do see him as a tireless laborer. And this has to do with the very four, the, the last and the fourth intersection between Paul and Titus. And that's found in around the year 8066. Paul is within months of his death. And we find that Titus is busy in Dalmatia. As Paul writes to Timothy, his other son in the faith, he tells Timothy this, 2 Timothy 4, 9 to 10, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and had gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. And the, the best way to understand that last phrase is not that Titus had, had somehow negatively departed Paul from prison like Demas had, or we could even read in 2 Timothy 1.15 that others in, in Asia had abandoned Paul there in Rome. No, it's most likely that Titus had gone to Dalmatia to again do something that Paul had requested of him. Here he is again, fulfilling his, his father's, his father in the faith's, his father's request. Paul had been the one to bring him the gospel. Paul had been the one to disciple him as a son in the faith. And now Titus was ready to go wherever Paul wanted. Just some concluding thoughts here. F.F. F. Bruce writes this, We must remain ignorant of much that we should like to know about Titus, but we can be grateful for what we do know about Titus. A fine example of Christian integrity and responsible service in the circle of Paul's friends. And another man, A.T. Robertson, said this, he was a man of force who knew how to drive things through, a lieutenant to be trusted at a critical moment, a man to be counted on in emergencies. That was Titus. That's what made him a partner, a true partner. He was a willing instrument. He was a skilled diplomat and representative. He was, he was a very successful delegate, and, and he was a tireless laborer. And that's the picture of Titus that's put before us in the New Testament. And men, 
He is a worthy example for us to follow. Are you a Titus? Are you a partner in the ministry? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the example of Titus that even though there's so many details that we'd like to know that just are missing, what we do know is enough to challenge us. And I pray for all the men here that we would hold up Titus as an example. We would see his resolve. We would see his reliability. We would see his dedication that he would not look at the obstacle but the objective. That we pattern our lives after that in the different spheres of our lives, whether it's in the family, in the home, whether it's in our church, whether it's in the world. We'd be known as men like Titus so that your gospel would be spread further and more brilliantly. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.